This is CliffCentral.com. So Helen Beck is the Vice President of International Sales and Marketing for Crystal she Cruises. Is, yes. Oh, she's sitting right in front of me now. I actually met Helen at a, a sumptuous gala dinner we had in Johannesburg for a lot of the, the travel agents and the people who book cruises regularly in South Africa. And there were some, um, some people who've done quite a lot of business with Crystal. I'm very pleased to see that South Africans are starting to get the hang mm. of cruising. And cruising at this level because they've been missing out for a long time. Yeah, no, it's wonderful to see South <laughs> Africans on board our ships. Very happy. And I think, uh, as you say, with Crystal, we're at the top end of the luxury cruise market. So um, having some very, what we call working wealthy, affluent retirees sailing with us as we have our ships going around the world is fantastic. We have a nice international mix on board. So it's good to have some South Africans in there. What's, what's your background in terms of, of hospitality, travel? Um, you, you told me at lunch two days ago that your sister is, is also in the hospitality yeah. business and the two of you hardly have boring lives, but where did yours begin in this industry? So um, born into a publican family. So I was born and brought up okay. in pubs. Right. Yeah. So, so you learned about how to deal with guests straight immediately. away. Immediately. <laughs> yeah, living in the goldfish, goldfish bowl of above a pub is very good for social graces <laughs> and learning how to chat to people about small talk, about next to nothing, about football, about anything, and learning how to pull a pint at 18. Oh, that's so, great. Not before? Uh, maybe. Might have done. <laughs> <laughs> but a glass collector and bottle stocker. We used to get our pocket money by stocking up the shelves. So I've always worked in hospitality or lived and right. grown up in hospitality. Uh, I studied languages at school. And then at 18, or actually 17, I had a job in the summer in the Swiss Alps working as an assistant housekeeper. Wow. And I was the only English speaker in the kitchen. And it was French and Italian and Spanish and Yugoslav and German. And all day I was speaking these different languages. So I decided that I was not going to go to university and that I was going to take my languages abroad and learn, live and learn them that That's way. That's the university of life. And, and yeah. I suppose you, you probably can still speak many of them. I can, happily. How many? Um, German, French, Spanish, wow. very comfortably, and Italian to some degree conversationally. I'm well, actually doing an interview tomorrow in Spanish. Well, don't show off. Well, I just thought a little bit of, you know, fluffing up, you know. <laughs> no, I'm very impressed. No, yeah. But it, it is interesting to me how many people on this ship are international people. Mm. They're people who have a foot in one or two cultures and Surely. perhaps even more. Um, I suppose you have to, if you're in your sort of job, deal with people from all over the world. And, and in some situations, it must be quite challenging to deal with the mix of cultures mm. from the point of view of marketing and sales and trying to explain certain things to certain people and also trying to create an atmosphere, which I have to say you've achieved on board, which is accommodating to everyone. I think you find is, I think sometimes we think each country we come from, we think that we're different to everybody else. You know, there's always nuances and that's very true. There are. But in my experience, and I'm blessed to have worked in different countries, lived in different countries, as well as worked with many countries around the world, I find there's actually more similarities. So if we sort of break it down into very simple components, everybody wants to be happy. Right. Everybody wants to spend their hard-earned money in the best value way they can find, either on a holiday or whatever it is that they're doing. Um, and everybody wants their children to have a better life than they have. So really you find those characteristics 
everywhere. Then there's nuances of how you communicate and how you interact. But I tend to use those three basic similarities as a way to communicate across the board. Everyone responds to a smile, right. you know, simplistically. Yeah. Um, and everyone responds to positivity. And so I think if you use those, then you get, a, you get your communications uh, across very well. Well, I, I see you saying hello to everyone. So either you know everybody or you're just very friendly to everybody. But I, I surmise you might actually know all these people. Ah, um, I'm blessed <laughs> to know quite a lot of our, our crew on board. But I, um, I think by growing up in a pub, I am now I have become naturally socially gregarious, I suppose. Yeah. And, and, um, and completely adaptable to any yeah. situation in terms of, of, of Making pe- putting people at ease, making them feel at home. I think it, it does. It's something that you grow up with, and I was lucky enough to grow up in that goldfish bowl of having people around all the time. Sometimes frustratingly, when you're a teenager, <laughs> you don't yeah. want to be nice, but you right. learn how to be nice to people, <laughs> even if you don't want to be. Um, but I think on board the ship, this is the philosophy we have on board with our hiring, for example, of our, our crew members is we hire for attitude and we train for skill. Hmm. Because it's that attitude of understanding how you communicate, how you deliver service. And you may have heard me say, but I think that service is such a misunderstood word. And to deliver great service is not just about putting a plate on a table. It's how you do it. It's the interaction, understanding the level of familiarity that you can have with a guest. And you have that instinctively. So we're looking for for our crew members and our shoreside teams to have that instinctive understanding of how to interact with people on a human level without it being over-familiar mm. or obsequious. Right. And I think we do a great job of that. I, I never, you said, I, you, said yeah. you hire on attitude. Yeah, we hire based on attitude, yeah. But you're actually quite important. I mean, we're sitting here talking about all these nice frilly things, but you actually make very important decisions about where the ship's going to go next. And that mm. kind of, you're on these committees that... Yeah. That it's make these tremendously important decisions. I mean, <laughs> that must be quite fun because it, it takes you into, and I'm sure that you spend a lot more of your time than you'd like compared to being on the ship mm. in meetings and important conferences and, and at presentations and board discussions and that kind of thing. It's one of the things, I think when you, somebody says, what do you do? And you say, oh, I work for a cruise company. Oh, so you're on the ships all the time. And <laughs> I have to deflate that question or deflate that sort of thought quite quickly to say, if only, you know, I'd love to spend my time on the ship. It's a joy. Um, but no, you're right. There is a lot of time spent in meetings, a lot of time spent on planes, a lot of times doing presentations. Personally, I love talking about the brand I work for, for Crystal. I have well, it's a lot great easier than marketing a washing yeah. powder. <laughs> it surely is. It surely is. Um, but then you get the fun stuff, exactly as you say, yeah. of being on um, the itinerary planning committee, sure. which is where we're actually talking about 2021 for our wow. planning decisions. And where are we sailing? And you look at all of these different how elements. Does that, how does that meeting go? Is it, is it carte blanche? Do you just have an open slate and you all decide, all right, well, I've got an idea. To some degree, it's dictated, obviously, by where the ships have been the previous year right. and where you finish your season. It gives you a skeleton, right? Yeah, so you have a basis from which to work. The, the folk on that committee, we've obviously got our, from the marine side, we've got our captains we're on this vessel. We've actually got Captain Berger, who's on board uh, on that committee. But then we also have, obviously, a team of two, just two people, who are our itinerary planners. This is their raison d'etre. This is what they do all day in day is come up with the itineraries. And the considerations are, of course, desirability to guests, 
making sure we've got a blend of what we call marquee ports. So on this itinerary, we're going to Lisbon, <coughs> Barcelona, um, Monte Carlo. Right. So well known to everybody. Right. And then we're also going yeah. to a beautiful little port called Cassis. Right. Now, not many people may have heard of Cassis. They might have heard of it in relation to having a Kia. Kia Royale. But they've never actually been to this beautiful little village called Cassis. And I think we'll find that's probably the hidden gem on this itinerary. It's a surprise and delight. It's a beautiful little village. So their job is to blend those unknown destinations with those marquee ports to make them uh, desirable and appealing to our guests but also balance it with fuel and mm. managing our yeah, fuel. Yeah, the logistical questions, right? Managing where we uh, stock up, where our food and all of our supplies are delivered to, making sure that the ports have the infrastructure that we need right. to handle our shore excursions and our land programs. So there's an awful lot of detail that goes into that planning. Yeah. What, are, what are, out of interest, what are the most desirable destinations? I mean, which which cruises do you never have to worry about being booked out just because you know that they're the most popular and and in particular the, the, let's talk about crystal now um that the there must be certain routes which are just absolutely dead certs mm -hmm. mediterranean just right. a single destination mediterranean but also actually northern europe we find we have great success with the ships when we're up um, going up to st petersburg Mm. doing a couple of nights there. So typically we spend May, April, May, June into July of the year, we'll be up in Northern Europe. And then if we've got the one ship uh, in Europe, she, as Serenity is doing, is sailing, repositioning, so to speak, moving from Northern Europe around to the Mediterranean. Then she spends her season here August, September. In 2020, we're going to have two ships in Europe. So we'll have mm. one dedicated up into Northern Europe and one dedicated to Mediterranean. So that shows the importance of Europe. So there isn't a specific itinerary that I'd say, but that, that gives you an answer there that Europe is always a pull from all over the world. It's that, a desirable destination. There are places you haven't been because when you, you, I mean, you do get to go, even if it's only for a few days of mm. every cruise, because you might have to come in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there's a there's a very particular reason that you have to be on a certain cruise, but there might be the opportunity where you could choose where you want to be. Um, you've probably been on a few of these. Don't make us all jealous, but where do you still want to go? Oh, my gosh. Do you know, as you were asking that question, what came to mind was Patagonia. Oh. So I haven't been to Buenos Aires, to Valparaiso. So from Argentina around to Chile, and I would love... Through Tierra del Fuego, huh? Exactly, to wow. Ushuaia, the Chilean fjords. Well, also, isn't That's that every every line. navigator, every mar yeah, marine, exactly. maritime person wants to go through that, mm -hmm. exactly. that cape, right? Me too. Oh. I haven't sailed through the Panama Canal. Oh, wow. I would love to, and I haven't sailed through the Suez. So I would love to sail through the Suez and the Panama Canals. Mm. That would be cool. Listen, you think I've been everywhere. I haven't. There is so many places I haven't been going. Yeah, you sound pretty well-traveled <laughs> to do, me. I, I don't do you, badly. You and the captain were comparing notes earlier about <laughs> oh, how, you know, you'd seen this off the mm -hmm. coast of Malaga mm -hmm. and uh, something captain else. Captain wins, hands down. And Bali and all kinds <laughs> he of things. He wins, hands down. No, yeah, well, what's, what do you think are some of the more bizarre things that your guests have asked for? Because this is the, the, there is a, a very interesting blend here that you don't get in any other kind of holiday. I mean, people wouldn't, for example, on a, on a, on a plane or in a taxi, ask for 90% of the things that they can get on a ship. 
Yeah, uh, do you know, it's a good question. I can't... Have you ever picked up a request or seen or heard from someone else, because it might not have been your department, and thought, that is absolutely the most strange and ridiculous thing ever? I haven't... Do you know, genuinely, nothing springs to mind. And I'm sure, actually, as you ask other colleagues, they would have something. I do have a story, though, that springs to mind of a a little... uh, How a piece of equipment within a stateroom was was misunderstood. Uh And so we had a guest... (laughs) Um, who was quite upset and asking that the microwave in her room be fixed. And this met with some quite some perplexed looks because yeah. there actually isn't a microwave in <laughs> any of our staterooms. And this lady unfortunately thought that the safety deposit box in her room was a microwave. Was a microwave. <laughs> Wow. So that was that wasn't a bizarre question, <laughs> but it was a bizarre situation that you kind of chuckle about afterwards, thinking, "Gosh, okay, there you go." There must be some uh, very, very wealthy and very famous people on these ships from time to time. Do they just manage to blend no, in? They with... just blend in. This is the really? joy. Yeah, truly. Oh, okay. So if Mick Jagger came walking down the corridor, we would just have to keep moving. Yeah, we just keep moving, and I, yeah, I know it sounds slightly surreal, doesn't it, to say you'd walk past Mick Jagger and not take a stop. Sure. Stop you in your tracks. Um, The guests we have on board are all comfortable in their skin. They tend to be, say, relatively affluent. They're working wealthy, Mm. at ease with themselves. So don't get phased, particularly by seeing famous people, celebrities. They may afterwards go, "Gosh, did you see?" But they're not necessarily going to go up and bother them. Everyone recognizes you're in a holiday environment, vacation environment. So, what I find on board the ship is everyone is incredibly friendly. And very welcoming, very open to chat to chat to. But equally, if you want to be quiet, people seem to recognise mm. that somehow instinctively and leave you to be if you just want to be. Uh, mm. And I think the same happens. I mean, <clears throat> as, you, as you speak with other colleagues who work on board, they can probably give you a better answer to that. But for me, I I, I think everybody just leaves everybody be. Uh, and you interact as you choose to. But everybody's always welcoming and friendly. Always hellos. Is there a lot of pressure to keep inventing new things and developing new ideas and coming up with interesting quirks to take things to a new level? Or have you pretty much figured out how to put together a perfect cruise? I can't, I think we've actually, you can never say you're finished, but I think we've got to, we're in a pretty good shape, I would say. But you can always tweak and improve. And one of the things that we all do is, keep looking out there on the horizon it's like outliers what what's out mm. there of trends or well i mean behaviors. for crystal haven't you just launched the endeavor we have now what's yeah. that all about so we've just she literally goes on sale wednesday 8 august and she is our polar class it's tomorrow that's tomorrow <laughs> i'm yeah that's tomorrow <laughs> yeah. very exciting so what, what is what she, is she uh, she's explain a, this, she's, this? Someone very, very wealthy sitting waiting for someone to answer this question for them. (laughs) This is um, our new expedition ship. So she is being built in Germany. I'm actually going to the keel laying ceremony later this month in Germany. And she will launch in 2020, uh, 200 guest capacity, 20,000 tons, 100 all suites on board or butler service. <laughs> and she's polar class six, which means that she can sail through pack ice. Wow. So, so she can go to places we, we can't on the, the yeah, Serenity. So she will go Antarctic and Arctic. 
We're starting initially, however, with a season. Th- she starts her first voyage, I think, is the 10th of August um, in 2020. And it's starting with a round trip in Tokyo. So we're going to that amazing grouping of islands that make up Japan. And it will actually be just as the Olympics finish in Tokyo. So what a way to Hmm. sort of build a combination of a trip to what I'm sure will be outstanding Olympics and then get on board uh, Endeavour for her maiden voyage of doing a circumnavigation of Japan. So then she's going to stay in Asia and doing some different itineraries around Bali, Indonesia, Japan, Philippines, etc. And then for the winter, she's going to go down to the Ross Sea and visit Antarctica that way, which is quite an unusual route. Typically, the Antarctic is visited from Ushuaia, from Mm. the tip of of Argentina there. Um, So we're instead going down by the Ross Sea from Hobart in Tasmania. There's a lot of um, there's so. a lot of very sparse ocean mm. there. Not a lot of yeah. other craft you have to worry about. No, not at all. But there's quite a few sea days, and so what we do is we will bring on expedition leaders and experts in the areas that we're visiting. Mm. So you, there's a whole education process that will go on with our guests whilst we're making our way down through the Ross Sea down to Antarctica, and it will be a phenomenal experience. The attention to detail with what we're planning for the for Endeavour is outstanding. There's a lot of use of light and glass because you're sailing through some amazing scenery, so it'll just oh, be breathtaking. Sounds magnificent. Yet with all of the quality that you get from a luxury cruise line. Mm. So we will still have, for example, Umi Uma, the restaurant for, that we have in partnership with Master Chef Nobu, you will be on board, plus Pregar Italian fine dining, plus wow. the waterside, plus, plus, plus. So there's all of our standard luxury support and uh, amenities yeah. followed, uh, sort of allied with these amazing suites and this amazing areas that we'll be visiting. So, Well, I was blown away by the fact that we, we talk about this being a six-star mm. experience, and there's actually a jet, too. Yes. I mean, yeah. this, just, just to, to sketch the scenario <laughs> for people... You know, who think they're wealthy. I mean, there's a whole new class of wealthy that we're we're talking about here. So they take the jet to meet the ship. Yeah, so we have have a, a, well, not just a jet, sir. Uh We have Uh a Boeing 777 wide-bodied long-range jet. Forgive me, I was being very Mm, common. You were. Get it right. (laughs) So um, Crystal Sky, as she is known, um, is a wide-bodied long-range 777, which typically would carry over 350 passengers and has been adapted completely to accommodate just over 80 guests in normal, as you'd expect, business class flatbed seats, Mm. Um, plus a separate lounge area with dining and casual tables and a bar with over 300 different bottles of wine stocked on board. Hmm. Um, And this jet, she's basically the world's largest private jet. So can be used not just for getting you and a part of your friends Hmm. to get to the ship, but also if you wanted to get to a conference or you were going someplace, wherever, it it can be chartered for private use as well. One day when I decide Mm. to take that money out of Switzerland. Yeah, that won't be too long, I'm sure. It's the best way to spend it. It's crystal sky, (laughs) of course. (laughs) The the food and and, and drink experience on on board is very important Mm, because obviously we've got got some incredible restaurants here. Mm -hmm. We've got some 
fine sommeliers who've spent a lot of time thinking about what kinds of wines they want to bring on board. You've got a, a cocktail menu, which you've just launched now that we'll speak to someone about a little later on. Yeah. And, and I think that all of that probably is quite important in terms of, of putting the focus on the right things. Um, if you gave someone a bad experience in, in that respect, you'd hear all about it, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's so important to impress them. I think there's, it's, when you think about your holiday, you're thinking, for me, the first thing is where, where are you going to go for your holiday? The second thing is what are you going to do when you're on your holiday? And the food and relaxing and having a few drinks is part and parcel mm. of that for most people. So that is very important for us to get right. And that's why we have quite a few choices of venues for casual lunches, casual dinners, not formal dinners, but more upscale dinners. Mm. It's really choice again. So I think we have a really good range of choices and deliver to a very high standard uh, the food and the dining offerings that we have on board. And we've become renowned for that. So we do very well. There, there probably aren't a lot of places in the world where you can have the kind of experience that people might have had on a luxury liner, plus some mm. back in the 1910s, 20s, somewhere around there, where, you know, in, in movies we hear about all these very, very smart ships. Yeah. Yeah. There aren't any like that unless you look at Crystal. I think it's, again, it's a different tran a different style. That transatlantic liner mm. era, that heyday of the, what's it, the blue ribbon race that would take place mm. between your New York and Southampton. I think there are some cruise lines that still have that in their portfolio, but there are bigger ships. And they, I think, you know, our president said it very well, says it very well. If you're over a thousand guests, it, you, it's hard to deliver true luxury when you're over a thousand guest capacity. Um, and those transatlantic, transatlantic liners that you find with some other companies today, they're dealing with 2,000, 3,000 guests. They do a very good job, but not necessarily you, you to the did style that in, of in luxury. You did in a previous that we did. life, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And a get very good experience. Um, this is a different level with Crystal. We have smaller ships uh, with less capacity. And we focus a lot on space. We mm. make sure there's plenty of space for our guests. So you never feel like you're on a, get, on a ship with another 1,000 guests on board or 900-odd guests on board and 600 crew. You never get that feeling on board a crystal ship, be it a river ship, be it a yacht, be it the plane. You never get that feeling. It's one of our, our pillars, for want of a, an awful marketing word. <laughs> Just one last thing. Yeah. Where's your favorite place on the ship? Oh, my gosh. Probably Avenue Saloon, uh -huh. which I actually haven't been to yet on this cruise because I've been very good behavior. But I don't know if you've been in yet, but Avenue Saloon is great fun. And yeah. that's the after dinner party place. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Helen. Thank you. And thank you for having us on board this magnificent ship. Um, I'm sure it won't be the last time. And, and uh, we hope to let many more people know about what is out there and what is oh, available fabulous. on Crystal. Thank it's you. terrific. No, it's complete pleasure. Thank you for joining Thank us and you. taking the time to be with us. Magical. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you. This is CliffCentral.com.